Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Bonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. Ginger Z, Chief Meteorologist at ABC News, reporting our nation's weather on Good Morning America while covering some monumental and historic storms. But that's not all. She's a tornado through stigma, talking about her own struggles with mental health, clearing the way for others to share their own stories while crushing the stigma associated. This Emmy award-winning meteorologist is a Dancing with the Stars Mirrorball Trophy winner, has a passion for adventure and a love for storm chasing. More importantly, Ginger's a wife to an amazing and supportive husband, Ben, and a mom to Adrian and Miles. And she's with me today. Well, I am so excited to, to kick off Mental Health Awareness Month with who I call the tornado through stigma, Ginger Z. <laughs> Ginger, thank you for being with me today. I'm so appreciative and grateful. Thank you, Vani. This is like we said, I think we had to have come together for a reason somehow. So anytime I get to speak with you, I know it's going to be good. Oh, well, thank you so much. It, it truly means so much. So I want to get started on why we're here, why we have bonded. But first, I want to talk about you a little bit and your family, because I really wanted you and Ben together, because I love the two of you and you are fast becoming two of my favorite people. And part of that is because you make us laugh and smile and your boys and how both of them are taking on the character of each of you. Which they is, really are. It's, uh, I know as a parent, you know how that goes, but I could be warned for a very long time and never fully understand until I've now lived it. And watching these two really different individuals develop with very little of my, I feel like very little of my influence as far as <laughs> nurturing go, it is really hard nature or like it's ingrained nature in there. Oh, I definitely can relate to that because Maddie, who's my youngest, was five when she lost her dad, but mm -hmm. she is more like her dad than her other siblings. So I think that's a, a true testament. But tell us just a little bit about Ben and what he's up to and your boys and how old they are. And yeah. So Ben is now a reporter for WPIX, PIX11 News here in New York. And it's like a very New York station. And it is exactly what he does best. He goes and during the last year, he has made people smile. You know, he, he's been doing that for his entire two decade long career, but his job has become even more important than I think he even realizes because he brings levity. At, and I always say there are very few people out there any comedian, any anybody that can do clean humor. And that's what my husband does. He does a lot of self-deprecating humor, so that's easy. But he also does it a lot of physical humor, stuff that it's tough for a lot of people to pull off. And like me, I have a hard time being funny if I can't use maybe a bad word here or there. Or, you know, like it, 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 he doesn't need that. He takes like dad jokes, but makes them really funny. <laughs> and so he's he's been a joy to have around, obviously, always, but especially I'm so glad that the world is 
able to see him on social media beyond the tri-state here. And then the boys are Adrian and Miles. They're five and three. And it's such a great part of my life. It was the best thing I've ever done. It's the best thing I've ever produced or created by far. It is beyond just giving me purpose. It's like watching these two humans develop and then knowing that I have some say in helping them to have everything that they can, you know, and, and helping them to realize and grow up in a world even better, I hope. And everybody's always like, oh, it was always better back then. And I don't know. I think we can create the best by teaching our children the best. And that's like a big responsibility, but it's also one of the most exciting things that I get to do every day. Yeah. So they're both, wow. Adrian is, I think like me, he's, he's very, uh, he's an absorber. He's an empathetic, like very sweet kid, but definitely um, worried about what everybody thinks Aww. and a people pleaser. Like he came out like that. And Miles is the opposite. The perfect uh, story to sum up my children is Miles or Adrian, he just turned three. He was in preschool and we were going to go to the Rockettes, a special show. We rarely go out, right? And so I picked him up a couple minutes early from school, maybe 20 minutes. And his teachers had talked to me about this. They said, now Adrian needs to learn how to be able to pause on things and come back because he's such a perfectionist already at age three. And I walk in and he's working on something on the ground. And I said, hey, buddy, you ready to go to like exciting Friday to the Rockets? And he's like, hold on, I have to finish this. And he goes back down and listens. And his teacher said, Adrian, remember, we talked about how you can take a pause and start this up again on Monday. And he like took it in and you could see he was listening because he'll listen to his teacher. And then he folded it up and he starts walking over to me and just starts bawling. Oh, no. I'm never going to finish it. I'm never going to do this. And we joke because not only would Miles not be as intently working on that when I walk in, but he'll probably rip it up and be like, let's go. It's Friday. <laughs> They're just... That's how different they are. Oh, uh, I love that story. And you know, the interesting thing to me is when I look at them, their physical appearance, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely like Adrian is Ben and Miles mm-hmm. is yes. you. And and so for you saying that about each other and describing them, that's like, I can't believe it. It is. It's it's our personalities swapped in our bodies. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for sharing with that. And, you know, and I do want to you know say about Ben, you know, he definitely does make me smile. And I think that everybody sees that that funny side of Ben, the little comments about like, hey, these chicken thighs look really good. Well, you should see my wife's. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> there's so much love between the two of you. Your family is so beautiful. And to know you, you're just so down. You're you're so down to earth. You're that hometown girl. Thank you. I never thought I'd be here, you know, and that's something whenever I hear something like that. And it's a I'm constantly reminded that I have something that I never thought would be possible. And that's, it's even like not working on weekends is one of those things I will never take for granted because I didn't have it for so long. Mm -hmm. And so being with Ben and being in a partnership and a lifelong friendship, and that also has romance and genuine care and love is something that I can't ever, I don't even know the words to put to it, you know, like, because mm-hmm. that's true. I never have to worry. And I don't know if it's like I spent all my uh, worry and <laughs> things before, because yeah. he'll always say this is his favorite. He says that he was my um, fallback, like, oh, well, time's running out. I guess I better settle down with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I disagree wholeheartedly, of course, because I think he was almost the payoff, yeah. you know, in the best way yeah. where it, it really hadn't been great and it had been a real struggle. And I, I think 
I even believed until I met Ben, I believed that you couldn't have it all. Aww. But I don't. And, and of course, that comes with many definitions. You can't have yeah. everything, everything, everything. Right. But um, a true partnership and friendship in life, I think that is has to be one of the biggest joys and definite you know, blessings in mind. That just warms my heart. It even kind of brings like a little tear to my eye because it's a privilege watching it. And and I really appreciate the friendship that we've, you know, been able to create and, and hopefully build on. And another part of the admiration that I have for you is is a common bond. And that common bond is true transparency when it comes to, to mental health and how we need to share our story and and put it out there for others. But I want to ask you, you know, natural disaster gives us a little bit of an insight to what you went through. What was it that finally allowed you, I guess, for lack of a better word, to talk about it? Yeah, I think the same thing applies where it's, and, and I think parents, I've been speaking, you know, after I wrote Natural Disaster, I've spoken at so many places and I've been able to meet so many people with different stories and everybody's story does have some similarities, but most of them are so unique and individual. And so it's hard to give one piece of advice or say that my story is just like anybody else's. I think my truest healing came because I was finally letting that wall down. I was finally allowing my secrets to be my secret powers. Mm -hmm. And Ben was a big part of it because he gave me the support and love. Not that I didn't have, of course, my mom was always my support and love, but it is different, you know, and I think in an adult, it's different than in a child and that type of thing, being a child of someone. He kind of gave me that final push of confidence because the night before this book went to print, I woke up in the middle of the night and I just said, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Ben, this is not people are, I'm going to lose my job. I'm, this is going to be the end of me. And it was like, I was giving in to the one thing that I was trying to do with the book. And he reminded me of that. He said, if this doesn't upset someone and shows you as imperfect, then you didn't do the right book. Mm -hmm. You have to upset somebody to make other people better and to make yourself better. And he was right. What the book really did, aside from connect to thousands of people, because I have had so many people and it's still people still write me today. I get I'll get five direct messages today saying I just read your book and I can't thank you enough. That connection and um, it's, it's proof. Right. I got the receipts of that. This was worth it. And I knew it was worth it even from the moment that I finally said, OK, print, because it was as if I could finally be proud of and love who I was mm -hmm. because our stories are full of both positive and negative things. And I think societally and some people more than others, Adrian more than Miles, individually want that story or that narrative to be flawless because that's a kind of a human trait. It's impossible. Whether you've come at it from a religious point of view or you come at it from flaw is what we are. We are flawed, you know, and, and some people more than others. And, and I love this too. Adrian has this thing. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. And he'll get really down on himself. And Aww. I've been working with my therapist on why that is. And, and what I realized was that that toddler slash young boy or child um, lack of ability to regulate emotion or to have an identity he sees life as very binary, mm -hmm. good and bad. Mm -hmm. And there's just two sides. I've tried to express to Adrian that nobody is pure good and nobody is pure bad. Most of us live between. It would be nice to live 
on the better side, yeah. you know, just because that would make life better for yeah. the world. Um, and that's kind of the goal. But you will never, ever be to perfect. You will never be perfectly good. And you will never be perfectly bad. And whenever I finally clarified that in my mind, which is probably after doing this with Adrian, I realized that on that slide, that moving slide, because we're going to, I'm proud of all of the moments, really, because they make up who I become. You know, and in the end, I, I hope that I'm a little on that end. I hope to be that. But um, I'm not going to get there either if I don't share the other stuff, right. if I don't help other people with their, quote, bad. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been so helpful in my healing. And if I go back, so your, that didn't answer any of your question. When did I know that I yes, needed help? <laughs> I knew that it was time for me to get help when I knew I didn't want to take my own life. Mm -hmm. And that had been a feeling I had had for a very long time. Now, was that feeling before or after your attempt? Before or after me. You know, the feeling of I didn't want to take my life because you have had an attempt that you've been very open about. But that feeling yeah. of knowing that you didn't want to. Yeah, that came right before I got my job at ABC. OK, I was in an abusive relationship. I was I couldn't even save. I was afraid of him. So part of why I went to the hospital was that, but I was also afraid of myself mm -hmm. because I knew how volatile I had been. What I did know for the first time was I didn't want to leave that up to chance. I wanted to finally tell someone before something happened so I could have a shot at getting out of it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, it's, it's like every substance abuse or any, any, anything is that the moment that you say, I have that problem, I am transparent enough to say to a couple of people, I need help. When you say I need help, that means you just took down the power of whatever it is trying to overtake you. And mm -hmm. I see, for me, I see depression and I see mental illness and mental health issues as kind of like this monster or maybe even a fog and there are times where it's really subdued and, and I'm stepping over it and I'm, I'm in control of it and then there are mornings where I wake up and that thing is right in my face mm -hmm. and as soon as I say even now when I have what I call not not black days as I used to say where the, the shades totally shut but I have kind of gray days where that monster is kind of showing mm -hmm. his shadow a bit my immediate reaction now with all the tools that I've learned after I went to the hospital and said I need help is that I go right away and I say something. It's just like, like, like a stranger danger. Say something. Say what you see. So I will say it out loud. I see you. I will say it then to my husband. Hey, I just want to let you know it's back. And uh, then I'll call my mom and my therapist. So you start doing your team. You tell your team about it. It's back. As soon as I started doing that, and then I start writing, I go on my notes and I start writing about what I see and what I feel, what I do. That it, the depression monster shrinks every time I start doing that. And I don't, I don't know if that's just for me, but I know that it works at least in the writing part. And that writing then becomes this window. And let me tell you, when you magnify that written word and you start telling other people, or perhaps you put a book out, <laughs> that takes down that monster even more. Yeah. And so those that's why I say my secrets have been my secret powers because they really are. Every time I say one, I see that thing shriveling mm -hmm. and it's it it doesn't mean it's gone. I can't say that. But boy is it powerful.
I think that's one thing that, that I understand, you know, we believe is there is so much power in sharing your story because I think that it doesn't matter what your story is, what your demographic is. When you suffer from depression or if you lose someone to suicide or you've attempted suicide, when you talk to those people that have been affected like that, we all feel the same way. One of the things that, that I hear all the time is, oh, you've had so much courage. You had so much courage for sharing. And I know that you hear that too. But it was when I was you know, reflecting on something that I read that you wrote, I was like, why is it when someone suffers from a mental health illness or a suicide attempt or someone like me that has lost someone, why do we have to have the courage to talk about it? And why mm -hmm. isn't it accepted? Because if you yeah. had cancer, you would have had to figure out, okay, you have to go to the doctor, you have to get a plan, you have to go back for follow-up checkouts, you have to receive treatment. We don't do that for mental health. But no. do you see the stigma reducing and maybe more so because you have been so open? Yeah, I am seeing it reducing. And I think depending on where you live, it is, it is, people say I have depression, I, I have anxiety, and they almost say that easily. You know, I would say we're getting there on those two. Um, that doesn't encompass everything, but it, it's a great start. I think where we really need to change the stigma and where we haven't made any, not, I don't want to say any, but not a lot of progress is in the action. So now what do you do? You know, it's one, I don't think it's bad at, to say I go to a therapist. I don't, I think pretty much anybody would be good with that. There are places where you still don't say that and communities where you still don't say that. But I'd say for the most part, generally, going to therapy is okay. The moment I say I checked myself into an inpatient psychiatric ward, eh, mm -hmm. people start saying, okay, a little bit of an eyebrow raise. And uh, whereas if I were to have broken my leg and then I had to go to the hospital and I had to get surgery and I was there for a week, nobody would blink. So that's exactly how I feel. And that is a problem I have because I know that oftentimes in the news and people are talking about suicide and now with the pandemic, the high suicide rates, what are the signs? What are the symptoms? Okay. And I'm like, okay, can we go a little bit farther than that? Can we go back a little bit farther? Like, let's dissect where this pain comes from. Let's look and treat depression as an illness, not as a choice. And yeah. I think that that's where... I believe that the, the definition of suicide needs to change. And mm -hmm. that is it, it side effect of a mental health illness or pain, because we don't talk about pain enough. We don't talk about that suicidal thoughts can come from heartbreak, can come from abuse, can come from bullying, isolation. And all of those things can bring those suicidal thoughts into action. So, so I have that passion to change that. And I appreciate you have shared that. And also, I believe agree, because if you didn't have pain, do you think you would have had a suicide attempt? No, no, I don't. I, I think that the um, and this is where it gets. Of course, you have to take chemicals and the things that we do know about certain disorders and um, parts of mental illness. And, and I do have to separate it because there is some things that we know. There are some things that we know and some things that we don't. Um, for me, if I take just me as a person and then I take away the traumas that I had in my life, the environmental traumas, I can't tell you 100% that I would not have wanted to take my own life. Right. 
but I can tell you 95% yeah. that I would not have wanted to take my own life. So I think it's pretty high. I think that we can say with great confidence that our life's, the things that we run into, the traumas, I guess, and the environmental instigators are huge. Right. And so everybody's got them. Everybody has different levels. And just like everybody's busy is different. You know, my busy is different than your, they're all relative right. and it doesn't take away from what they are. Maybe someday there could be a stage one depression and a stage five depression. And maybe we, you know, exactly. maybe there's, but I don't think there is. I don't think that that's something that we'll be able to get to because there is no way to measure numbers right now. Maybe science will get there. Right. But I think the part that we should do, and this is where the hospital, that word hospital comes in so, so thick to me is no matter what the other thing that you have is, you go to the hospital so that you can get that first assessment so that they can get you to the right people that have the most expertise in that one specific place. If I would have gone to the hospital before just picking a rando therapist in every town I lived in, I would have had a more direct and likely better diagnosis because someone could have spent five, seven days with me versus 30 minutes to try to diagnose somebody. It's impossible. You can't, I can't be down on the therapist that I saw prior to that. First of all, I wasn't telling them all the truth. That was my bad. Right. I wasn't even transparent with my therapist, which was a big problem. And that's because I wasn't telling myself the truth. So those are the two big humps to get over. And, and I'm again, separating real chemical imbalance to the person who has the, the trauma or environmental impacts to their anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, any of those. Now comes the work. And this is the hard part. And it's maybe going to be the hardest thing as I keep, you know, being an advocate for this. An advocate for ending a stigma is nice and nobody's going to be upset with you. I would like to change it to being an advocate for the stigma ending about getting the right help. But then you have to put in the work. It's it's very much like physical health. And I'm not saying people who ha who didn't didn't put in work. I don't think that this cures everything. I just think that there are things that even your team can do to encourage that work. Um, just like physical wellness, you know, you can't just go <laughs> to the the wellness camp and get, you know, all of these nutrition and all this information and how to work out and do it for a week. And then, okay, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very much like that. I had to work with my therapist twice a week for a year. And then I've been going once a week, I look at him like the personal trainer of my brain. And then I do what I call sit-ups for my brain with meditation. I try every day to do something for my mind, just like we try every day to do something for our physical health. Those things definitely work in unison or together. And I think, you, you know, they're not really independent, but they are. Mm -hmm. um, we as well, in the globe, we spend money, time, energy on perfecting our physical health. And we don't spend money, time, or energy on thinking or educating our emotional health. And I think that that would be societally something to change, but on an individual level, something we can all do today, right now. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think that just by you sharing that, you've given such an example of the importance of going to therapy, talking to someone, you found coping mechanisms that worked for you. And that's like telling your family, okay, I'm feeling that way, the monster's creeping up, but then you're doing something about that. You're journaling, mm -hmm. you're meditating. And that's what we really encourage people to do too. We'll have a support group and I'll say, hey, did anybody do the tapping with the tapping class? Nope. Um, so it's like, how do you expect your physical body to change if you don't put in the work? 
So how yeah. can your mental? But so that's such great advice. And I know that it's really going to help because that's truly setting example of what you need to do to love yourself enough to take care of you. And as we say this, I never want it to sound trite because I often think, could I go back to me before I tried to take my life those two times? Could I go back to that version of me and say anything or do anything to change what I was going to do? I don't think I could have. Mm-hmm. I don't know that mm-hmm. I could have, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want it to sound like, okay, here's the, like, as if I've figured this all out. But I do think that this is a seed to plant because God willing, if that person gets to that place, they can see hope in it, right? And Mm -hmm. that there is this relatively um, accessible way of learning tools and things and that help is out there and they deserve, and that's going to be the word that I would use next, is the deserving. Maybe that is something that future me could show up and teach Mm-hmm. past me mm-hmm. because that was probably at the at the base and the heart of a lot of it is that I did not believe that I deserved to live and why did I not deserve to believe that that's what I would drill into if I were able to go back to that person yeah um, at the same time I am so grateful that I had those experiences so that I can try to help or maybe change someone else's future when they're in that place mm-hmm. or close to it Well, I certainly don't think that you would ever sound trite, I think, because too, Ginger, you know, every experience is so different, and it's never one thing. Whether it's a mental health illness, whether it's some sort of pain, you know, my husband was fourth generation. There's genetic components that are involved, and there's so many other factors. That's why conversations like this are so important. Um, But I want to go to how we met. And you coming in and speaking at one of our events. And why don't you share a little bit about your experience here? Yeah. Well, I love the I love the concept. I mean, your your I understand is the part that people need to hear, right? That is the part that that's the that's what I've seen from my book is that they know that I see them and understand a part of them and we connect. So there's a a genuine and immediate connection with I understand. So even just from the name of knowing that, I knew that this was the right fit, I think. Um, And love heals. And so if I can go into that, then that's the love that I didn't ever think that I deserved or had in myself for myself. But I see that in the love that you are getting across with your group. And so to be able to meet hundreds of people, I guess, that that night then um, that have a common goal was incredibly powerful to me to know that there's on the other end, you know, I share my story and people say, wow, now I, I really, you know, that really enlightened something in me, or I really connected to that. Whenever I feel it's like mass movement, of course, it still feels good to me. And it's still healing to me to know that I'm not alone in that room, uh, not by far. And so getting together a group of people who are willing to listen, even if they haven't had those experiences to learn, and then to be able to apply and be on someone's team or set up their own team if they need it. And I think you say this all the time, even if you just had one person in that room, we did our job and and you did, but you had hundreds. I don't know how many hundreds, but it was a lot. (laughs) And it was a very, so that, that feeling of the, it felt like mass change. And um, I was just watching the, sh- the trial of the Chicago 7. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but um, very different 
reason for change. Each of them had political or um, kind of anti-war, the 1960 Chicago riots. And at the end of the movie, I liked the film a lot. And I think I really loved it because I knew that those guys, and I, of course, went on a deep dive of each of their lives and who they were. And I was so inspired to say they made enough of a stink, you know, they stood up and said, this is important to me. And, and it's not the popular thing necessarily for all, or it's not what it is, but I'm okay being this for this reason. Again, totally different. This has nothing to do with politics necessarily. It could, Um, but because I do think that in a societal shift, if I could have anything be a part of my legacy, and maybe the reason that I'm here is maybe I can help that big dream of mine where I think every second and third grader should have emotional health class yeah. where they learn emotional regulation. Maybe that's why this is happening. Maybe that's why you and I are connected. Mm-hmm. So the more we, you know, this, this now sounds more businessy, but more the networking of this is what I felt at I understand yeah. is that kind of mass or societal movement uh, that we can change and we do have uh, something over. And that's what those guys were doing for a very different reason. Mm-hmm but it's their legacy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything happens for a reason, right? I think that we have experienced a serendipitous moment. And that serendipity was when you read my book after me sharing my story. But the first question I want to ask you, is there a science behind serendipity? I think there has to be. This is when my being a scientist helps the, the overall cause. And I understand the mystery that is our atmosphere better than most people do because I've studied it for a couple of decades now. I understand how energy works in our atmosphere. And I understand that astronomical uh, powers also have power over our energies here. We saw it, I stood in it in Atlantic City in Hurricane Sandy, where the storm surge was up to my thighs seven hours before the storm hit. The moon was pulling, right? So there was energy. I believe whether you believe it is a greater God or it is a sun or it's a universe or whatever it is, I really believe that there are physical and scientific reasons behind how energy happens. So yes, I think there has to be, my husband would laugh because I think it's, he's a harder sell on this, yeah. but there, I, I can't, people laugh at astrology, but I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. When you were born in relationship to how a moon, you know, where the moon was and it's phasing, and how the energy was pulling on earth, how can that not have something to do on a molecular level in your cells, in who you become, on who you're around, on where things move and what they do? I can't I can't say there isn't. I, I would 1 million percent put my money on that. Because <laughs> I think back to the moment that we talked on the phone after you read my book, and a specific date of November 8th, the, the day my husband died. Can you tell us about that day for you? Yeah, so I had read your book, but that date didn't hit me. It wasn't until I was writing my book. It was, I think, National Suicide Prevention Day, and something I wanted to, you know, push to someone who I think does a great job, and that's you, at mm. changing the, the words and what people hear and how we look at suicide. So I perused back through your book. And right then, because I had just written my final chapter about my date, I had been thinking about the dates a lot more it hit me like it jumped out of the page the date did because i realized that time in my life i had blocked out for many reasons that date that time of like november of 2003 blocked 
just hadn't thought about it. But now I had these two things to connect. And then I started doing the math. And then I realized that I was leaving those doors at likely the same hospital that you were entering. Mm -hmm. And I came out alive. And it hit me that I had this, of course, immense gratitude, but I had guilt. And I had all of these feelings. And then at the end, I felt kind of this aura of joy, like, this is it. This is what we're supposed to do together. Mm -hmm. This was part of the meaning. This is, you know, this is, and then it was like filled with, so I had way too much going on and I probably uh, contacted you too soon after reading. <laughs> so, well, I love I the raw emotion. Crying I love, in my closet, yeah. Yeah. it all hitting me and washing over me. And, um, you know, it, and maybe I hadn't, even though I had written the chapter in my book, I don't think that I had written it or realized what it meant as much as it did when I went back and perused yours for a quote for Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, like all of these little things coming together. And then even on your side, I think you can say you didn't, wouldn't have known that connection. No. And that's where, you know, we say, is it coincidence? Is it serendipity? Is it ironic? Is it a God wink? Whatever we call it, something brought us together mm -hmm. that I wrote a book, which I never thought I would do, and especially to have Ginger Z read it and, you know, and then actually call me and make this comment on it. It just struck me like there's so much more to what we see. Yeah. And at the end, didn't you think, and this was the thing that made me cry harder than anything was I came out. Your husband did not. I thought about every day at those hospital doors, the families that go in and don't get to come out. Yeah. And those are the families that I want to be. Yeah. you and I are going yeah. to go help yeah. because the numbers are ju not just you and I through those doors, even that day. Yeah. Think about the numbers we know, yeah. even in this pandemic have skyrocketed yeah. of people going through those hospital doors. Right. And I, I think that's what we need to do is get people through the hospital doors before that happens. Absolutely. But, and I think too, I think that together, what a powerful story we have because you were able to walk out and you were able to to recognize that that pain didn't last forever, right? The storm didn't last forever. And you were able to move on and get the dream job and the beautiful family and having it all, whatever that definition is. And my life was so different, you know, watching my kids grow up without their dad, wondering what happened. But yet, almost 18 years later, same day, same year, same hospital, we're on the same path. Yeah, we're on that same path with totally different stories, but together understanding both sides. That's that's pretty dynamic. So so how would you say that the science like how does that are our lives really planned out that far in advance that we were <laughs> supposed to know? Hold on. Now I forecast like a week in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm making um, you go backwards 18 years. Yeah. I think that, I don't know, I don't, I would love to think that that's true, that there is some end game or some end, but I, that would take away our responsibility of action. You yeah. know, I think that would take away our choices that we make every day or the motivation to do yeah. those things. So is a wellness place that is a, a psych hospital that I dream of this, this place where I had the financial ability and the support to go to Columbia university's psych ward. Um, not everybody has that. And when I was done there, I had the financial ability and the support to go to therapy twice a week. I had the money to take the subway or take an Uber. 
to get there. I had the ability. I had a lot of things a lot of people don't have. So my dream would be to make I want it to be more like how drugs and alcohol are looked at. Drugs and alcohol rehabilitation is looked at almost as sexy at this point, I would say, Mm -hmm. right? If Mm -hmm. we hear someone goes into drug rehab, we say, good for them. Yeah. If we heard someone went into the psych ward at Columbia, we say, ooh, what happened? Yeah. And I think I would love for those two to get a lot closer together, meaning the, the psych ward, to be like, good for them. And so if I can create or put together people who want to make that place that's accessible for everyone. Because even if you have a lot of money, it's really hard to go get help. Yeah, it really is. Well, and there's still that denial. There's still a lot of stuff with it that we're just not comfortable with. And I think that that's a a whole nother conversation. I mean, and that's, again, why it's so important that we talk is to reduce that stigma and that that judgment that's attached. And And it does come back to love, too. And it comes back to kind of how we perceive things. And I don't mean to bring up Britney Spears for any other reason than everyone is somewhat familiar. Nobody knows her whole story. But I've been thinking about her a lot lately since I saw that documentary because Mm -hmm. talk about timing again. Mm -hmm. I will never understand what it was like to be her in those moments and treated the way she was. And and that documentary certainly made her look a victim, you know, as, as, and no matter what her level or category of um, mental illness is, I think that she went to a hospital, I went to a hospital. Mm -hmm. People would have looked at that the exact same way. No one could benefit off of me. I wasn't making $65 million a year. So there was no no reason to do that. But I I look at the, the things that she was going through, the environmental traumas, and, you know, I've, and I remember being back then and being like, whoa, she shaved her head. Oh, she beat an umbrella into a thing. I didn't know that they had taken her children away from her yeah. at that time. I didn't know. Yeah. There's so much going on in that woman's life yeah. that we weren't giving any credit to because of how we view mental illness. It was like we put a cap on it and said, that's what she's got going on. Oh, we're crazy well, Brittany, right? And the jokes and the memes and the, you know, everything that went with that. And, today, and that's what that documentary to me was yeah, good for, was yeah. was to wake people up and say, can you believe we yeah. spoke to people like yeah. that? I think we've come a little from there, but we haven't come that far. And that's where I think that needs to be. That woman needed love and yeah. she needed help and she needed support, not being attacked more and, and called all of these names and things. I just, I just sat back on my bed thinking we were similar age. Mm -hmm. I didn't have children and I didn't have the same, obviously I wasn't Britney Spears. So, but to feel that pressure she felt and have the voices amplified of the people who were hating on her. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Who wouldn't hit someone's umbrella into it? That's not crazy. That's very natural what she did. But I think that's another good point is the fact that you know, you don't have to be Britney Spears. I mean, I see it in, in people yeah. that are struggling and they're in pain and they're hurt and their family shoves it aside and they are, they're defiant. Well, yeah, they're, they're reaching out for help. And mm-hmm. I think that that is why we need to continue the conversation and continue to do our work and see where that leads. But I think on the good news for what you're dreaming of, hopefully you'll be here this summer and we'll be able to catch up and, and, and show you some really cool things that are happening here in our city for mental health. Um some very innovative things. So that's the beauty of it is we have a long way to grow, but we have places to grow into. And there are great people like you working on that. And I want to work on it. I want to make not only the place for people to go, but I look at, um, you know, I was speaking with a group recently who's doing an app where they bring, it's an app in high schools and it's in an 
anonymous, but of course, if there's an emergency, it has GPS and it has all the legal kind of reasons. And they just, someone can say, I'm concerned about so-and-so because they are being bullied or, and there's no walking to the guidance counselor so that you can say, I need help. It's a very um, safe way for these kids or I'm being abused. Um, I have this. And so it's a safe way for the, because they don't know where to go. And I said to these people who were developing the app, I said, I love it so much. I just wish you made it for everybody. I know, <laughs> right? Right. The, 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 the issues and the confusion of what to do with the action and the embarrassment, all those things that people are trying to fight through of figuring out, even when Ben tried to find a therapist, trying to do that. He said, it's like Tinder, like figuring out by picture, how do you pick the right person? I know. So to be able to funnel people into the right places so they could get the right help is why I think that hospital setting where that's the general and then you get um, sectioned off to the specialty spot. Mm -hmm. That's when I got the right help. That's the first time I had a therapist give me the right diagnosis and then give me a therapist who worked specifically with what I needed. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Here I am healthier, happier and deserving and realizing I'm deserving of this sunshine. And that's, I want every single person to have access to that. Well, I think that you using mental health and, and having that vision and that dream is going to help mental health and, and help people get on the right track and get the help they need and not being afraid to go in the hospital and learn whatever coping mechanisms they have, whether it's, you know, letting your family know, meditating, whatever you find, therapy, all of those things. But Ginger, this is how I look at it. And this is how I see. I mean, you you are, I hope you don't mind that terminology. I always call you the tornado through stigma. But you know what, together, this is how, how I'm going to describe us that we are the eyes, the eyes of the storm, and we're just beginning to brew. We're, we're going to make a difference, and we're going to change some lives and perhaps even save some lives. So I cannot thank you enough for taking this time and being so honest and transparent and, and being such a good friend to me and I understand and all the people that are going to listen to this. It's so greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie, and thank you for everything you all are doing because you're touching more people than you know. And the more connections I just, I have, that's that's my forecast for us. It is it is full of sunshine, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I love that forecast. I love that forecast. So thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see each other soon and take care and give Ben and those boys a big hug from all of us here at I Understand. I will, thank you. As Ginger stated, the forecast is sunshine ahead. Her determination, honesty, and ability to articulate her experiences in a meaningful and transparent way makes Ginger one of my favorite people to have a conversation with. Our journeys make us who we are, but what we decide to do with our experiences is what matters most. Ginger's story matters. Touching anyone who had struggles of any kind, making others feel less alone, is Ginger's gift and a reminder, storms don't last forever. If you are struggling with a mental brain health issue or have suicidal thoughts, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK. Information and resources available at IUnderstandLoveHeals.org. To learn more about Ginger Z, follow her on her social media platforms, Instagram at Ginger underscore Z and Ginger Z on Facebook. 
A special shout out to Stuart Poltrock at Sound Post Studios for making us sound so good. And also, we love Bigby Coffee during our podcast sessions. Thank you for allowing us to buy one, give one to start the conversation.